Hello, everybody, and welcome to season two of the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and educational specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion will focus on the field of performance psychology, specifically the components of building and maintaining organizational success. As athletics continues to grow, we are seeing more organizations and universities allocate resources towards implementing a holistic approach to athlete performance and well being. If executed well, the integration of player and coach development, mental skills and health, and on-field performance can be a potent aid in the creation of continued success. Our two panelists have made careers in helping athletic organizations develop and refine the integration, and we are excited to hear from them, share their experiences, and learn from them. Our first panelist is Dr. Angus Mugford. Dr. Mugford currently serves as a Senior Vice President for the New Jersey Devils where he oversees player development and performance. He has extensive experience in using performance psychology and leadership experiences across high performance domains to enhance individual and team effectiveness. His previous roles include the Vice President of Performance for the Toronto Blue Jays, where he led collaboration and development of high performance. Prior to this role, he served as the Director of the IMG Institute, where he led supportive mental conditioning and leadership services. Dr. Mugford was previously elected as president of the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, and his educational background includes a master's and PhD in sports psychology from the University of Kansas. Our second panelist is Dr. Scott Goldman. Dr. Goldman currently serves as a performance psychologist for the NBA champion Golden State Warriors. For over 20 years professionally, he's provided mental health, wellness, and performance optimization for professional athletes from all major sports, Olympic gold medalists, and world record holders. He was one of the first embedded sports psychologists in NCAA and co-authored a number of resources for best practices and guidelines for student athlete mental health. Earning his master's and PhD in clinical and school psychology from Hofstra, Dr. Goldman is a certified mental performance consultant and international keynote speaker on mental performance. He is the creator of the athletic intelligence quotient known as AIQ, a mental analytics assessment used by college, professional, and Olympic sport organizations to identify performance-specific intellectual abilities and optimize player development. As you can tell from the introductions, we are joined by two incredible guests, and we're excited to get started. A reminder for our, all our attendees, you can drop any questions you have in the chat, and we'll allot some time at the end of the discussion to address them to our panel. Scott, Angus, thank you both for being here with us today. Uh, we gave a snapshot of your backgrounds during the introductions, but it'd be great if the two of you could provide our audience with some more detail about your current roles and how your roles function within the day-to-day -day of your respective organizations. Angus, I'll begin with you, and then we'll pass it over to Scott. Sure. Thanks for, for having me on here. and excited to, to share and, and listen and, and, uh, and, and talk to some of these factors because Certainly this is a passion for me. And, and uh, I know Scott and I have had many discussions over the years too about just our curiosity, not just for sport, but performance in general too. So um, my it's fairly uh, ironic to be talking about my role because I'm, I'm really onboarding into a brand new role. So uh, this is my first season in the NHL and, um, and a unique role. So there's, uh, it's the first of this role created. There's since been another one with the with the penguins. Um, so really figuring out as we go. But the intent of uh, the senior vice president role is to integrate um, development and player development around 
um, prospects all the way through to the NHL players, um, along with their um, uh, performance supports of between athlete care, uh, performance optimization, um, health, and uh, uh, but also skill acqu uh, acquisition. So um, getting the right players in the system and then being able to really um, uh, fulfill their potential as best we can. So uh, excited to be in this new role and, and just had an amazing journey in the Major League Baseball for the last seven years. Um, and uh, But embedded in much more of a front office executive role than in performance psychology per se. So really enabling a system um, as opposed to, you know, direct player care myself. So um, a different lens, um, but, but excited to have this conversation today. Yep, for sure. And Scott, go ahead. Well, I mean, first and foremost, thanks for the opportunity and invitation. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this conversation goes. And uh, I'd also like to thank you for the kind and generous introduction. Uh, I'll tell you, Angus, when I hear the introduction of the two of us, I think it basically labels us as old guys. I think, <laughs> Not wrong. I think yeah, I think that's just it is like, we're now old guys. We're part of that generation. So um, my role right now as a whittler, I kind of just sit and rock in my chair and whittle and, uh, and try to figure things out. But um, now, so uh, this is now my sixth or seventh year with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, my initial engagement with them was primarily with um, talent acquisition, um, primarily around the draft. And then as the relationship evolved with the organization, they just kept folding me more and more into what they were doing. And, uh, and about two years ago, they asked if I would want to expand my role and transition away from the NFL, which is where I was previously. And, you know, um, I've always found it's the people, not the place. And the people in Golden State are some of the most amazing human beings at all factions in, in different levels. So, you know, it starts with ownership, Joe Lacob. I mean, what an incredible owner. Then you have, you know, his two sons, Kirk and Kent, who are in the building day in, day out. They're putting in the grind and really developing and contributing. You've got Nick Uren, Mike Dunleavy, Larry Harris. I'm probably forgetting a whole bunch of others, but, um, but I mean, what a supremely talented staff and great group of individuals. So it was interesting because, you know, I, I've always kind of navigated myself as being a person who just wants to do cool stuff with cool people and to be of service and to contribute where I can. And they recognized that some of the conversations we were having was stimulating and having impact. So they were like, look, we'd like you to just be on board and be with us more and be more involved. So my role has expanded since then. Uh, and, and and so I, I, I dialogue with some players, I dialogue with some coaches, but primarily I'm really to be a resource for the leadership. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because as I mentioned in the introduction, it seems like more of these resources for organizations are being allocated towards this um, discipline. And Angus, we were speaking over the phone and you were saying, you know, a lot of GMs, a lot of organizations, they want to create this performance psychology department, but a lot of them aren't necessarily certain what that actually looks like. So my question to the both of you, um, and we'll go to Angus, then go to Scott is, um, how should we define performance psychology and where should it fit into the sport organization? 
Yeah, I'm, I think this is an exciting thing. And I know Scott and I uh, alluded to the fact that he and I have been, we're starting to become old <laughs> in terms of um, this space. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of teams and, and GMs who are asking for like either best practice or examples or sometimes teams are in the copycat league of that, you know, they hear sports psychology and the interesting thing to me is it means a lot of different things to different people. So I think this is a fun discussion for, for us to have because even my my interpretation and framework is slightly different from Scott's. And, and I think that conversation is really an important one for organizations. Um, but I would, and again, on a simple level, you know, I have two lenses. One is, is thinking of services or domains and, and I kind of bucket this, the psychological factors that impact sport and, and performance as mental health, mental performance, and probably life skills as three different areas. And sometimes that does mean different things to, to different people. But from as a decision maker, you know, if, if I was a GM or, you know, an advisor to GM, which in my front office role I am, you know, we think about the team's um, outcomes across three, uh, across four different areas. So, so one is availability, right? So trying to make sure that players are healthy and, you know, able to be on the field um, or on the ice in, in our case. And, and so that aspect of making sure health and wellness is, is strong for players on and off the ice. And, and I would definitely use this same metaphor for staff just as well as, as players. Um, so availability is one. Second one's performance. So, the performance optimization of are we helping the team win? You know, are we helping make sure that the effective habits of you know focus, concentration, confidence, all those kinds of skills are as effective as they can be. As in the development portion of that as well, are we helping players improve and develop the skills? You know, whether that's a, a prospect in like AAA or um, you know in our AHL, you know, and optimizing their development. Um, and then the fourth one is acquisition. You know, so do we understand um, the nature of the player and what that means for our system? Do we have the right resources around them? And can we help improve the chances of success for our um, scouting department and the GM who ultimately is responsible for building a roster and managing that roster? Um, so I kind of put it on the outcomes of those are the four kind of decisions that organizations are always trying to to make to add value, but really these these uh, psychological factors around health performance and life skills that that um, experts across a continuum of care can can impact. And so sometimes that's where I think psychology um, means different things to different people because there's aspects of that that's sufficiently regulated and licensed um, that incorporates the more of the health domain. And then there are other areas where mental skills professionals who are not licensed um, can add tremendous value around mental skills optimization, but it's ultimately, you know, what they're qualified to do and what they can impact. And so there are certifications and, and things of that nature. And much in the same way as I would explore the physical spectrum of an athletic trainer has a different role than a strength coach and different skills, but they both equally impact the physical performance and readiness of, uh, of a player. So similarly, psychology has that spectrum of um, expertise. And, and so it's really about how does the organization want to leverage and, and resource those skills. 
So long answer, but that's my uh, that's my two cents and framework that I work from. That was kind of like Will Ferrell in old school. Like you just blacked out there for a second. You're like, I don't know what happened. I'm a dancer. <laughs> you know, I'll add to this on a on a more like anecdotal or kind of personal level. Um, you know, someone who both Angus and I had the good fortune to cross paths with was a guy named Ben Charrington, who's now with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And when he was with the Boston Red Sox, um, he was kind enough to kind of fly me out and pick my brain a little bit. And we were talking about this stuff and gosh, I want to say this was like 15 years ago. So kudos to him for being kind of ahead of the curve. And it was interesting because as we were kind of talking and flushing out the role and, and the responsibilities, I, I said to him something along the lines of like, I feel like you just bought a restaurant and you're not quite sure what the menu should be like should it be Chinese food or or American cuisine or you know or some kind of fusion I feel like and so you're kind of asking me what chef to hire but you're not sure what food what food or theme the restaurant's going to be and he gave me this statement that I actually have used now for like the last 10 plus years where he said you know what Scott we're committed to this we just don't know what this is and so I think Angus kind of hits the nail on the head which is we, we, as a profession, I think we've done a disservice of not doing a great job of really defining what the work is, what the scope of the work is, what the training is, who can do what, and all those kinds of things. And what's unfortunate is in this quest to kind of figure it out, there almost became some territorial pissing contests, if you will. And, and I think one thing that I've always appreciated about you know, my friendship with Angus is like, you know, we actually come from two very different training paradigms, but we've always found the overlap. Like, you know, this is really a Venn diagram and it's where we overlap and we're going, oh, I think there's something really good there. So the blessing and the curse of psychology in general and sports psychology, maybe even more so is it's nebulously defined. And, and and then because it's nebulously defined, you have a wealth of people who have figured out ways to kind of manipulate that. So one of the things that I, I sometimes will, will educate um, decision makers, front office owners, et cetera, about is like, you know, back in the day when there was someone carnival barking about the new ointment that cured everything, there was some areas to be concerned about that, that kind of element. And so I think because we haven't really structured the definition of it, we've invited people who can be very creative in pr promoting marketing, unfortunately, themselves above the work. And, you know, one of the really interesting mechanisms in sport is a team can win for a lot of different reasons. And the impact of any one individual there can sometimes be um, despite of, not because of. And so I think sometimes you'll see some people take way more credit um, and almost it's like they're using some of the team's success to leverage for the next job, if you will. So just, I guess my answer is a little bit longer, and maybe less informative. What I would go back to is this is how I've kind of done it. I think of psychology in its simplest form of definition. It's about human behavior and human interaction. It's that simple, human behavior and human interaction. And that weaves through all aspects of life. 
So then it becomes a full spectrum of care for the individual. And that is something that Angus touched upon from emotional distress, like suicidal ideation to optimization of, you know, hey, I've got the third fastest time in the world and I want the first. And I think for me, I've always seen this more as a blend and a blur than a finite distinction. So what will happen is some teams will say, hey, we'll have one person who does the mental health. We'll have another person who does the performance optimization. I'm kind of going like, nah, but I see too much of a blend and a blur there. So that becomes complicated. But then there's this other element. So you've got a full spectrum of care on one plane. But then you also have, from an organization standpoint, a vertical spectrum, which is really about like, how does a coach interact with a player? So a concrete example of that right now is most coaches right now are millennials or Gen Xs. Most athletes right now are Gen Zs or are what's now becoming tabbed as Generation Alpha. And the attention span of a Gen Z is eight seconds. So Gen Xs have a tendency to be a little bit long-winded as the two old guys currently are. And the Gen Zs are like, hey, you know, the average length of a TikTok video is seven seconds, which isn't by coincidence. So one of the elements and where I try to provide contribution on this vertical plane is when coaches will come to me and say, I can't keep the focus of my room. And I go, well, how often and how long does it take for you to make a point? And it's like, I think we need to shorten that. Now, obviously, I am not practicing what I'm preaching by just this answer alone, but I go back to that's the, in my humble opinion, I just think psychology is unbelievably complicated. As simple as it is to define it that way, it's just unbelievably complicated to execute and execute at a high level. And what's nice is there's some fantastic practitioners out there like Angus and Chad Bowling and Mark Aoyagi and Michael Gervais, just to name a few. Alex Auerbach was with the Raptors. Like, there's some talented, wonderful individuals, all with different levels of training, and they're all making impact on these different spots that I highlighted. Some are narrow, narrow, zeroed in, narrow focused, and others are more widely focused. One, one quick thing I, I love. I love these conversations in the back and forth. And I think one of the interesting things, the context is king and like everywhere has different needs and, and roles, but, but coming back to that physical health metaphor, I think what Scotty said about the, it's not binary, you know, one or the other. And I think the perfect example of that it, on the physical path is, is a return to play progression where it's not about having the best medical guy and the best strength coach. It's actually the interplay between the two. The best organizations and the best return to play for a player is a strength coach that works really well with the medical professional and vice versa. And I think, you know, when the player's in the middle, there's great communication between all sides. And, and you know, again, physical health is not a binary thing either, but really I think it's about creating teams and experts who work together well. And like Scott's, one of very few, you know, cross-trained and, and is able to, to work across that gray area in much the way some, some like physical therapists, for example, have a broad range of skill sets. But, you know, one of the things I've been trying to build with teams is departments, you know, think about them as programs as a, as rather than people. 
but getting the right people that can work together collaboratively, ego aside. And I think that to Scott's point about the kind of the snake oil piece, sometimes the nature of high profile, you know, sports like we've had the privilege to work in sometimes just like sometimes the medical providers or strength coaches come with that kind of complexity as well so I'd, i'm not sure psychology is truly unique um in that respect but i think that because it's been harder to define compared to medical and strength and conditioning um it is more concrete and that that's something that's a little bit harder in the psychological domain but but again the, those human factors are are everywhere and and hence the benefit, but also some of the risks and, and challenges of that. And I know you're gonna to wanna to ask another question, but I would love to just add to this dialogue because first of all, I could listen to Angus read the phone book. I mean, like, I'm just like, like what a treat it is to listen. And the other part of it too is I think, and this is Angus and his humility, like, I don't think he would disclose this, but to me, in my humble opinion right now, Angus is a pioneer in the industry. And I'll tell you why, like, in the last five years, seven years, the number of staff has just exploded at the professional level. Uh, I remember there was a head coach when I was working for an NFL team. There was a head coach who asked, he said, he said to me once um, in, in private and closed doors, he goes, you know, why does it take me two hours to take a piss? And I was like, well, you might want to have your prostate checked. And he's like, no, no, I mean, when I leave my office to go to the bathroom, it takes me two hours. And what he was really talking about was all these staff members that were coming to him saying, hey coach, can I have five minutes? And for each staff member, they only thought, hey, I didn't bother the coach at just five minutes, but that five minute aggregate. So this poor coach was up till four o'clock in the morning scheming for the week because he was trying to be a service leader and, and give everybody who asked for that five minute time but it also took two hours to go to the bathroom. And so I bring this back to Angus and why I say Angus is a pioneer. Angus is one of the first people in the professional space to take ownership of, hey, we've got a large staff, we need them to work together, and we also need them to be uh, around, but not underfoot, right? And so instead of going to the coach and instead of asking for five minutes of the coach's time, it's Angus who's now saying like, hey, we can create an infrastructure around the players and the coaches that makes all of our work valuable, makes all of our work impactful, and is not adding to um, scope creep or energy loss. And the way that he did that in Toronto was nothing short of brilliant. As an outside observer, nothing short of brilliant. And it makes perfect sense to me why the New, the New Jersey Devils would go and steal him and try to recreate it. And you just alluded to the Penguins now adopted. I think that's what we're going to see next is people like Angus popping up more and more because more than the carnival barker who every, who's tweeting out and doing all this stuff, Angus is doing this in a way where the word of mouth between the presidents of these teams are going like, Hey, what's going on that you guys have really turned it around? Like, oh, well, we got we got Angus. That's great. Oh, and there's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's by the way, we'll do a follow-up video of Angus just reading a phone book uh, <laughs> for the next one. Um, but there, there's a lot of there, yeah, there's a lot of great analogies in there. The restaurant one was great. Angus, what you mentioned about 
um, the athletic trainer and the marriage between athletic trainer and SNC and how that functions in performance psychology. And um, Scott just mentioned, you know, people like Angus going into organizations and Angus, I know you are currently kind of in that onboarding process or new at the organization. So let's go into that. Like, how do you step into a new organization and start to structure it in a way that's going to optimize performance from the top down? Yeah, Angus, how do you step into it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that part is easy as far as listening and learning. Like, I think, and I think it is tempting to want to go in and, and show your worth or show them that they haven't made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, especially someone, I, but honestly, the fact that I don't know anything about hockey, you know, and they were curious about me and, and um, spoke volumes, you know, that that is a risk for them. Um, but I think really trying to understand and learn and actually see the, see the good things um, as well as the opportunities. Like I have been really um, blown away by the curiosity that a lot of the, the people there have shown. I think the NHL is probably regarded as one of the leagues that are probably more traditional and old school, you know, in, in some respects, but um, they've definitely not shown me that. I think their their openness and curiosity has been really, really cool. So I've, I really am in that phase of understanding and listening and observing and, and learning. But I think the... Um, I think sometimes that being able to ask the questions and really clarify what people mean, um, challenge assumptions and create alignment um, are some of the most basic uh, and important aspects that, that I can offer at this point. And in fact, even when I mentioned our coaches retreat, a, a lot of that was for, to help me understand, to help um, uh, get coaches and, and our GM to articulate the vision to articulate what that is and what that is and 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 facilitate the conversation and, and explore what those things are, where the gaps are. Um, and so it's actually less about me and more about, you know, really clarifying what those things are. And and I know I'm sure today we'll, we'll talk a lot about values too. And so that was a really important part uh, to me. So Mark Shapiro, the president of the, the Toronto Blue Jays, that was my alignment and his vision was, um, inspiring to me. And I think seeing how spending time early on clarifying what the values are, what the important things are, helped make the rest of the journey much more effective and um, uh, efficient. So, you know, that's a kind of a similar process that we're going through is really trying to identify what, it, what makes the New Jersey Devils special and what do we stand for and that will help us guide and design the, the rest of the process uh, along the way. So, so that's kind of where we're spending some of our heavy lifting now. And we're about to start that process with the players too, you know, since it is a not just a player-centered, but a person-centered approach that everyone's very aligned with is, how, you know, going through that, that process together. And, and again, that was very fruitful when we did that with the Blue Jays. And well, they haven't won a World Series yet, that seeing them get better every day, which again was their mission, um, using learning as a tool to keep building and improving, um, was a really important investment up front. That I know a lot of organizations, I'm sure people here on are listening to this too, have done that for their organizations, but it's um, 
you know, it's one thing to, to decide on words that you put on the wall, and it's a very different thing to actually live and breathe that and see how that weaves into your, your everyday business and decision making. Yeah, I like what you said about getting the people that are at the top to articulate and actually explain or dive into, okay, yeah, we want to win a championship. Okay, like this is how we want to function. Let's what does that mean? Right? Like, let, let's define those things. So um, Mike has a question prepared, actually, that's kind of in line with that, which is a great segue. So uh, Mike, you want to go ahead? Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. So we hear the term success and organizations saying they want to be successful. Some determine success by wins or losses, while others may see success a little bit differently. Angus, what does organizational success mean to you, especially stepping into this uh, new organization? Um, how should it be defined? To me, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear Scully's answer to this too, but I think it is to your point about goals, um, it's very easy to focus on championships. And I think for me, I'm much more value oriented than goal oriented. So like every, every team is looking to win championships and that's compelling, but um, to actually try to ground that in a value or um, as with the Blue Jays, the, you know, the, yes, the, the goal was to win World Series, but it was getting better every day to win World Series championships, bring them to Canada and celebrate with fans across the nation. Now, that's long, but actually there's three parts to that. And I think that's something that I really enjoyed about that. Getting better every day, chunk one, is really more about the process and, and, beating teams like the Red Sox and Yankees and, and the competitive advantage around learning, like the really fundamental hook of that organization is about learning to win. So it's not just learning, reading books in the library for knowledge sake, but, but to use that knowledge to win and to compete together. And that, that, you know, from our marketing department and something that was important to the organization was, was the celebration was about the people and the fact they represent a country, you know, the only baseball team to do that. So, but I like the way that that kind of chunked together, you know, and, and sometimes I think mission statements and things can get lost as like a, an academic exercise, but, but something that I loved about what the Blue Jays did was that um, you could ask anybody in the organization and they could tell you get better every day. And the fact that that could be operationalized for them. So whether I was a security guard you know, a, a chef, a trainer, a coach, a player, I could do that. I could get better and I could help impact the team and organization. And I think to me, that success and, and no question for Mark Shapiro, it wasn't about winning a World Series. He wanted to have sustainable, you know, waves of success that it was embedded. But, um, but at the core of that was, you know, his growth mindset, you know, his commitment to getting better. And that was really compelling part of the mission to me. And so, you know, we're building and clarifying that with the devils too. But I, to me, that's a, a good personal example of how I, I really like that approach for an organization. But again, it's context specific. Everyone's a little bit different, but I, I do think that simplicity of asking yourself, what is success? What is failure? Is really important and so simple because we make so many assumptions about that. And, um, and everyone's version of that might be different. So, but Scotty, I would love to hear your take on that such a simple question but really good one it's a I, I think of it as a pretty complicated question um so I, I have a slightly different 
uh, lens, and I'm going to kind of shift to maybe more of a philosophical mindset for a sec. I think success is kind of a red herring. And, and, um, and look, I'm fortunate enough to be part of an organization that, that just won a world championship. So I, I, I want to recognize um, the space that I'm sitting in right now, um, which what an amazing experience, what an amazing journey. And to watch the organization go through that process um, it was amazing, um, you know, and the parade, you know, being a part of the parade was, was a, a lifetime experience. So um, I actually think the reason why success is a bit of a red herring is, uh, and I'm going to go like kind of neurochemical for a sec. If we think about motivations and drivers and things like that, like the real essence of success, happiness, and all that is kind of stems from satiation. Like a lot of the feel-good chemicals that we feel come from a sense of accomplishment is really kind of about hunting for food or procreating, right? Like those are the areas where a lot of those feel-good chemicals can get released. And so I think what's interesting is we don't have to really hunt for food anymore. And, you know, with Tinder and all sorts of other kinds of things, like there's some of that other kinds of access is relatively easy to life hack as well. And so I think what happens is you almost go back to like different kinds of, of organisms, like a squirrel chasing a nut. Like once the squirrel captures the nut, there's a, there's a release of chemicals that's rewarding because it's like now you've got food. But the thing is, is if the squirrel stops at just one nut, it's not gonna survive the winter. So I think that the idea of success and therefore like the pursuit of success becomes sort of like a dog chasing a car. And if they catch it, they won't know what to do with it. So it's funny because I think Angus kind of talked about some of the practical applications of like, hey, mission statements is really about the process of developing a mission statement than just putting it on the wall. I'm a, I'm a big believer of the same thing. In uh, I was trained as a behaviorist and, and a cognitive behaviorist more specifically. And one of the most famous ones is a guy named B.F. Skinner. And he was most famous for getting animals to press levers to get the cheese uh, or, or whatever the reward was. You know, the big famous one was he could get a mouse to press a lever to get the cheese. And, and what's really interesting about that is most people focus on the mouse, the lever, and the cheese. And what's very rarely ever talked about is when those three things were present, nothing would happen until the mouse got hungry. So what I find often happens with coaches and front office folks and things like that is they're going like, all right, what's the cheese? What's the cheese? Is the cheese the trophy? Is the cheese the max contract? Is the cheese gear? Is the cheese having a brand that you know makes you famous? Or when you walk into a social club and you get a VIP access, like what's the cheese? And I'm going like, it's not the cheese, it's the hunger. So the mouse won't press the lever, no matter how good the cheese is, until we know why they want to press the lever. So I'm finding right now, one of the big things that's happening is coaches and front office folks, they're looking for the player who wants to play and they're finding that they're harder and harder to find. And I'm going, all right, so I think what's the driver and if it's not identical to ours is there at least some level of alignment to what we're trying to do
Like, I don't fault a, a guy who says I want a max contract in the NBA. In fact, when they announce that and make that clear, it's very helpful because it goes, okay, that's good to know. But what I think is more important is going after the second, third, or fourth question of that statement. Well, why do you want the max contract? So we had a player who, during the draft process, uh, I, I, one of the questions I asked in the interview process was, um, would you rather have a league minimum and win a national, uh, have, win a world championship, or would you rather have a max contract on a losing organization? And the player was very intelligent, says, I know you're going to want me to say league minimum and world championship, because of course, that's what an organization would value most, you know, low cost, high return. He goes, but in reality, I would go with the max contract. And so we explained, that's good for us. Thank you for that clarity. But it would be helpful to know why you want the max contract. He goes, look, I'm the first one to go to college. Uh, I come from uh, a family where my grandfather and grandmother, they were part of a generation that was you know, enslaved. And he goes, for me to have a max contract means that my kids don't have to play basketball in order to go to whatever school they want and they can deliver whatever major they want. Similarly, their children wouldn't even have to go to school if they don't want to go to school because they could take on different kinds of adventures and investment opportunities. So what he was talking about was, in my humble opinion, the true definition of generational wealth, not just what some of the people are talking about as a vernacular term. And then we went, oh, family's really important to you. Legacy's really important to you. He goes, yeah. And I'm like, those are some of our values too. There's great alignment here. So I think where some organizations might veer off and say, yeah, this guy's not one of us. He's into max contracts. What we discovered was not the cheese, but the hunger was right aligned with what we were doing. Scott, with that being said, how do you find that fine balance between organizational success, but ensuring that your athletes, you know, achieve their success as well? So where you find that like in between, is it challenging to a degree? Well, I, um, well, it's interesting because I think the nature of the question, another great question is, it's not this leads to that. I think it's this and that, right? And it becomes really circular. Like, you know, again, bring it back to the neurochemical standpoint, when people talk about cohesion and chemistry and all that stuff, one of the more common chemicals that we're talking about is oxytocin, right? Which is funny because people talk about it as like the love chemical, but the reality is oxytocin has turned out, it's really, they call it more like the tribal chemical, which is you're one of us. And if you're not one of us, you're one of them. And so it's like, okay, what, what induces this oxytocin kind of stuff? Well, success helps whatever form that might be, not to go back to that conversation, but it's also this idea of like shared success or shared accomplishment. So, hey, we're in this together and I care about you and you care about me. So, you know, I think what's really kind of fascinating is when you win, teams tend to come together. And I think there are times where a team comes together that leads to winning. What's really interesting is if you look at the research and you ask which is more important, task cohesion, you all wanna accomplish the same thing, or social cohesion, you all really enjoy being around each other. 
task cohesion seems to be a better predictor of outcome and performance. However, social cohesion has an indirect impact because social cohesion can maximize tax cohesion. And the other thing that I point out is even though social cohesion might be less impactful, wouldn't you rather be in a work environment where you're enjoying being around everybody? Costs you nothing. Love that. I, let's kind of harp on to success a little bit further. We're gonna dive a little bit deeper here. So a lot of individuals and organizations want to experience success and while that's possible, an even greater challenge that many face is the ability to sustain success over a long period of time. Uh, based on your background and experiences, what are some of the key characteristics other than having just great talent? And what I think about right away is like Moneyball, right? Just the movie and the experiences that they endured to be successful. Um, like how do you achieve sustained success? And Scott, let's go to you first, just with the organization that you're currently working with. Uh, love to hear a little bit insight. Well, I, I think this has been discussed publicly, so I'm not talking out of turn when I share this. We have a, a really unique opportunity over the last couple of years, which was due to some injuries. You know, we had the second pick two years ago, and then, uh, sorry, three years ago, and then two years ago, we had the seventh and 14th pick. And for those that might not be NBA fans, something to note is the statistical chance of having a long NBA career significantly decreases outside of the top 16 picks. So when you have an opportunity, remember you have five that start, when you have an opportunity to grab three players in the top 16 in, in a span of two years, that's, that's a really interesting opportunity. So to bring it up, there was some debate inside and around and some discussion, which was like, you know, do we win a national championship now? Do we, do we take this opportunity of this young talent and maybe maximize what we have right now with, you know, trading some of these picks for veterans and things like that and win a championship and kind of go out in the blaze of glory? Or do we, um, build for the next generation, have Dynasty 2.0, if you will. And what's really interesting was in that debate and discussion, two camps kind of forged. One which was like, hey, let's have a long generation 2.0. And the other was, hey, let's win now and win a couple more championships. And this is where, I, again, I think Joe Lacob is a brilliant person and what an amazing owner and leader. He goes, I want to do both. And this camp was like, I don't know if we can pull that off. That's hard. And the other camp goes, yeah, we agree with them. It's really hard. I don't think we can do it. He goes, no, I want to do it. And he goes, there was two directives. He said, I want to do both. And I don't want us to compromise in our solution. Because if we compromise, we'll probably not get to either mission done. So he goes, let's do both. And let's do it without compromising. And it was like, with that kind of clear direction, we just went to work. And, you know, we were fortunate to get the championship this year. And we're still developing that young talent that, that we drafted, like they're all still on our roster. So it's a really cool experiment. It's been a lot of fun to sit and absorb and listen and help contribute to that dialogue with this, with this team. That's really good insight. Thanks for sharing. And, and Angus, from your perspective, um, coming from another organization, are you bringing similar, you know, characteristics that you knew work there, or is that changing once you get into that new environment and you're kind of, you know, taking a step back from a different lens and then, you know, 
bringing in your insight and your approach. Well, first of all, it's just so fun to hear Scotty and the, the examples that you're using too. And, and I think that one of the things that I really resonate with there is both of those examples display a desire to seek understanding. You know, I think of the end of that, talk about hunger, like an actually understanding why behaviors and decisions are, are happening. And I think um, similarly there, we're talking about clarity from leadership, right? And then getting alignment, like clarifying and understanding what the views are and challenging the assumptions that they're mutually exclusive and getting clarity from a leader about what the vision is and or the constraints, right? And, and let a team of talented people work together to figure out actually how to execute on that. And, and so I would say, you know, those are the parts that resonate with me and probably my style and way of working or my approach. And so that, that's more of the lens that I would take with the NHR. Again, my expertise is not hockey. <laughs> you know, it's not, there are so many nuances and things, um, but I think cre helping create that clarity challenge or, or identify even what the assumptions are like development and winning you know are they mutually exclusive or where's the relationship where do those two things fit and you know we have started already having that discussion because I do remember early on in my Blue Jays existence too that there was definitely traditional assumptions that once a player was in the major leagues they were done developing right that it was about winning and that they were just roll out and execute and to me, like someone like Roger Federer is, is the quintessential example of here's somebody who has like, you know, more grand slams than, you know, so many people put together. But this is a guy that, that wants to continue retooling and getting better and evolving. Um, and so I think the, the great players always develop and grow. So how, but how do we honor? Like, I think that's a really interesting challenge from, from the owner of uh, the Warriors too about um, without compromising you know how do we achieve the potential and so you know even as far as how we look at talent one of the, the things that I'm bringing from the Blue Jays that that was really valuable in my growth there was the emphasis on learning and development so I think that goes from hiring staff um, where the role of of humility and curiosity are really fundamentally important um, but I would say the same for players too like, uh, you know, and Scott, hopefully we'll talk a little bit about the, the tool that, that Scott's developed with his, his colleagues with the athlete um, intelligence quotient AIQ, I think is a really great paradigm shift for how coaches and others can look at, at what kind of learner we are as coaches, let alone the, the players too. And, and so I think putting more emphasis on really understanding people and then how do we fulfill their potential and then do that in a team setting collectively is a force multiplier um so that that's definitely something that that i i'm bringing to this role and i'm super excited about you know yeah, go ahead scott i was just gonna i don't know if you all remember there was a guy bill buxton who was with microsoft he was like one of the pioneers of microsoft and he had this great line about prospect and mining and what he said was is if you take a try and true bona fide thing that works in this domain and you pull it to another world it might seem like a new product or it might seem like a new concept but it's already been kind of weather tested in this other space and so i think one of the things that angus really and again 
it's funny, Angus won't talk about himself this way, but I, 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 it is who Angus is. It's like, he's the epitome of a, of a prospect and mining kind of person. So like a, like a honeybee, the ability to kind of cross pollinate across different flowers and different sports. Um, one of the conversations that I truly value with Angus when we get a chance to interact is, you know, being able to compare MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, you know, university level, NCAA, like there's all this really good stuff being done and to pull ideas from different spaces and bringing it to new worlds. Um, it's kind of cool being a honeybee. Yeah, I really, I really liked a lot of the things that were said, um, especially Scott, when you said it's not this or that, but it's this and that I think that's great. Um, and then things that what makes the mouse hungry. I mean, I think that's awesome. It's like saying uh, another analogy for that is, you know, you can lead the horse to water, but can't make a drink. Well, it's cool. You can make the horse really thirsty, right? Similar. And then also Angus, you start to hit on talent ID and getting the right people in the building, which I think is a great place for this conversation to go. Um, as we listen to members of successful organizations speak, they're up on the stage after the championship. It seems that one of the most common themes is that the organization is full of great people, right? So from the owners, the coaches, support staff, the chefs, um, everyone performs their roles at a high level. So my question is two-part, and I'm going to go to Scott first. And Scott, maybe this is somewhere where you can talk a little bit about AIQ. But number one, how do we identify talent? And number two, how do we put that talent in position? to be successful and not just perform their roles, but actually excel at their roles? Well, I appreciate the space and the opportunity. I mean, it's funny because this is really where I think Angus shines. So I, I think it's nice of you to give me first crack at this because Angus is gonna have, have the real answer to the test here. Um, what I've just, I think um, getting the right people on board is everything. And getting the wrong people off board as fast as possible is everything. I mean, and that that's not an original statement. Like, you know, you can reference Adam Grant and givers and takers and some of the other great things that he's dialogued about. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how important that is. And I believe it starts from the top and works its way down. You know, when the owner hires the right president, like Bob Myers, who what a brilliant president and unbelievable person. Like, and here's the thing is not only does he hire the right people, Joe, with Bob, but he also gives them the, um, the ownership to make decisions. So even during the draft process, the owner can say, I like person X and Bob can go, well, I like person Y. And the owner will actually say, okay, well, I trust you to make that decision. And they go that direction. So again, getting the right people on board. So Joe hires Bob, Bob hires, and on, 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 and before you know it, it's like, isn't it amazing how when this is the right person locked in, they bring the right people with them, and then they go and find the right people, and then they find the right talent. And that kind of leads on a more granular level, um, the opportunity to talk about the AIQ, which is, it's just another piece of information, right? So the way that I talk about uh, talent identification at the player level is it's comprised of four buckets. So you've got your physical, size, strength, speed. You've got your um, experience or knowledge bucket, like you know, getting a, a linebacker 
from Alabama, you know what you're getting. Getting a, a point guard from Arizona, you know what you're getting. And what they've been exposed to, the style of offense or defense, et cetera. Uh, then you have personality, which I think is one of the hardest things to capture because personality is fluid and ever-changing, evolving. But that's the character guy, the locker room guy, the toxicity and all that. And then the final piece is intelligence, the ability to acquire, process, and apply information. So intelligence is really about solving that unsolvable puzzle, that sport. So scanning the court, scanning the field, scanning the ice, and looking for important details and making correct decisions. Ideally, you want all four of those buckets to be max. But that's just, and when, you, when they are all maxed, you have your Hall of Famer or your generational talent. In reality, it's really about complementary and, and, um, and really good piece matching. So for example, if you've got a guy with great character who's hardworking and his intelligence is slightly lower, those things can offset. And that also becomes from a team level too, which is like, you know what, if you have a bunch of really great people in the organization, or if you have a bunch of really great players, then you can take a risk or a gamble on someone who might be a little bit of a rougher cut of diamond and bring them into the organization in the hopes that they will mold and develop with those really great people, if that makes sense. Like, for example, Steph Curry is a really amazing person. So bringing in people and saying, look, be like him, it makes everybody's job a lot easier. Yeah, Angus, go ahead if you want to talk a little bit too about some of that uh, talent ID and then putting those talent, uh, those talented individuals in a position to be successful and excel at their role. Yeah, um, I guess to frame the reference, I, I'd certainly echo what, what Scott's saying there. And, and again, we took a long time at the Blue Jays too to be more specific about what that, that profile and competencies look like. And, and I've got a lot to learn in the space with um with, with hockey too. I think on, on one level, I would look, there's a wonderful model of trust that I really like from Stephen Covey Jr. of all people, but it's, it's the most practical definition of trust I've come across um, that really looks across trust in two domains. One's competence and the other one's character. And so you could just as equally look at performance as, as competence, like can someone do the job? You know, what are the the skills, the results, the, you know, the abilities that they might have. And then this character domain, as Covey talks about it, is actually around uh, integrity and intent. Um, and so, you know, whether these are personality factors or, or other factors that are important to an organization, I think that those, that relationship between performance and ability or character and competence are, are helpful um, and easy concepts um, that are also actionable too, right? Like when we understand where a loss of trust comes, is it their intent and do we need to better, does someone feel like someone has a selfish agenda or can we help understand, you know, the intent that someone has and brings to the table um, versus the integrity of, you know, does someone consistently behave like that when people are not watching? Um, and so it helps us define better where, where those strengths or, or um, threats lie. But, you know, talking about um, one of the things that I've really enjoyed and my, my growth from IMG um, and to the Blue Jays as well has been a lot of staff hiring. And so I think the, the key to the success of that has not been like asking the perfect question or, um, 
you know, the, the talent pool of people, but it really has been about designing a process for people to go through. Um, and so that was really um, looking at values alignment, because I think one of the important things about building a team is adding diversity. Um, where, and particularly around cognitive diversity and difference in thought, of, but bringing it into a culture um, and what do they add? And so we've looked a lot at values alignment. So um, the values are going to be different for each organization. But for example, at the Blue Jays, we knew collaboration and learning were two core values that were really important. So that was part of the lens that we asked people to score when they went through. And, and for each person hired, there were probably at least 12 staff members of the existing organization who'd be involved in that process, who would kind of score on the alignment of those things. Um, and that the ability for a candidate to, to demonstrate levels of that was, was really important from, um, you know, and, and part of that is obviously, can they do the job too? So, you know, they would, demonstrate that in some respect, whether that was asking them to do a physical exam or, or uh, do a presentation or, or share a breakdown of film or, or whatever that was. But it was actually the layers of, um, uh, of the process around what kind of learner they are, you know, how would they collaborate, where, where's the EQ, you know, and how they would uh, interact off the camera or you know at lunch or you know on the drive-in those kinds of things too so that we could really get different aspects of information and create better understanding deeper understanding around that individual and what they contribute so i think it is a bit more about the process but really designing something with that in mind so that we can see what role are they being asked to come in and do and is there a good alignment where they can bring and add to that to our team yeah. Um, earlier, you talked a little bit about organizations figuring out what's important to them. And now you see that kind of resurface when you talk about talent identification um, from what it sounds like is, and it, it's really pretty simple, but sometimes a lot harder for people to do is identify actually what's important for that organization. And then asking people to grade that during the hiring process and bringing in people where those two things align. Um, sounds like that's, you know, a staple of some of the hiring and um, seems really simple when you say it out loud, but isn't always so simple when hiring. And that's perfect. And, and probably the reason I'm talking at it from a more philosophical standpoint too, is it's about designing it. They're not independent things, right? So that they layer in, to how we make decisions and how we prioritize. And are we, are we measuring the things that we think we're measuring? And if I was to put a player lens on that, so looking at the draft, for example, there's, um, you know, I think uh, there's somebody who's one of the best young players in Major League Baseball right now is the, you know, is the pitcher, Alec Manoa. And I think he's a wonderful example of, um, for me, of really trying to understand him as a as a player, how it impact the organization, and for any player coming into an organization, I think that um, being able to understand the resources that one player might need compared to another, it's not about saying yes or no to anyone. It's really trying to get a better feel and understanding for this player to be successful in an organization. These would be the factors that that we should probably consider. Um, and again, it puts the ball in the court again at the GM or director of scouting or, or whoever 
Um, but the better we get, you know, rich information like that, um, the more information they have to play with. But again, having a having a model to be able to make what factors are important for making a decision, I think, is another fun place where I think Scott and I sometimes get to to spend a lot of time because it's easy to have information overload to a lot of decision makers these days. So helping build a framework for for how we make decisions is, um, is I think, a new a new form that's only becoming more and more important too. Yeah, and um, Scott, anything you'd like to add before we move on to the next thing? Just wanna make sure I give you a chance to. Well, so what I would say just to the conversation and Angus is brilliantly spot on there is it's funny, right? Cause most people will focus on the player and when they say, oh, I want this player, what you're really, what you really want is production. And so it's funny, right? Because when people think like, think about like uh, transfers in the transfer portal at the college level, think about free agents at the pro level, or think about like the players that get put on loan in international soccer, you know, football and all of those is they're going like, oh, once we sign this guy to our team, we're going to be great. And it's like, but you're not really taking his production with him because production is really the person, the player times the environment. And the environment is everything that Angus was just talking about. You know, it's not just the field. It's the environment is not just the building. It's the touch points and the people in the building and the touch points that they have and the way that they interact. So I, I just think what's really tricky and where this becomes as much art and science is when you're trying to grab production by taking a player, you better make sure that you're setting an environment that optimizes that output. Yeah, totally. And that's exactly where we wanted to go. And Angus and I were talking on the phone, you know, a few weeks ago. And one of the things he said to me when we spoke previously was that we are all performance, right? Everybody in the building is performance. We meaning everyone in the organization must be able to prepare, compete and recover as well. And I think many organizations have adopted such an athlete centric mindset uh, that it's possible you overlook the care and development of the people responsible for making those athletes better. And Scott, you're kind of talking about that a second ago. So uh, Angus, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, or how would you consult or give advice to an organization about making sure that they're investing in the people that are around the athletes or around that production? Well, it's definitely near and dear to my heart. And, um, I do think that one of the silver linings of COVID and what we've all experienced these last couple of years is, is that it has been a different experience for everybody, but everybody has um, experienced some kind of adversity or hardship, right? And I think we, everybody has had time to reflect and has done some form of reflection, right, about what their time commitments um, mean with family, you know, and whether it's a remote work and time with their family or um, being on a Zoom when your kids are in the other room or, you know, all of those things, it's really brought things to home. So I think there is a shift in the conversation and I'm very happy to see that there's a lot more discussion and awareness around mental health, mental wellness and, and mental illness um, that I think is really healthy. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that at the simplest level, and you know, again, talk about the Blue Jays. One of the first things that I went in that really excited me was that um, scouts were actually 
some of the first cohorts are really buy in and want more a discussion around what high performance was. And, and part of this is because they are kind of the unsung heroes. You know, they're wo road warriors, hours and hours in cars and traveling, going out, watching games. Um, they don't have an office, um, you know, and, and so, and their, their health levels varied widely, <laughs> to put it mildly. And so finding ways to help them prepare physically, mentally, um, for them to do their job. And it's actually much less about their job and much more about how they prepared themselves, how they recovered and how they sustained themselves with routines day after day after day on the road. Um, and that was really exciting to me because they were really hungry for that. And they each had different processes and things that helped them be effective over time, but they very rarely shared it. So giving them a space and a platform to, to talk about their processes for themselves and, and actually getting them to be more self-aware and deliberate about here are different things that you could do, um, different ways of approaching that and be learners and look at what works effectively for them and, and, uh, and to share that was, was really exciting. So I think, you know, in, in many respects, shifting that lens to yourself as a performer, very easy to coach or observe somebody else. And I think it's different when you put their responsibility on on yourself and um, what are the things you do well, where would you like to do better? And what, how does that translate in your day-to-day -day action? Um, you know, what does a good routine look like for you? And, you know, how can you be prepared for the things that, that can derail you? <laughs> what is your kryptonite is actually a question I love to, to ask people now. And, you know, how do they recharge? And, and just getting people to be more explicit and aware of those things and to share those is, is actually really pretty powerful, I think. Absolutely. I like that. What is your kryptonite? Um, Scott, anything you'd like to add in terms of anything that goes on within the buildings that you've been in, in terms of keeping the people that are around the players and responsible for the development of the players fresh and uh, going and energized to be able to perform their job at a high level? Yeah, I think in the last three years at the professional level, the leagues have done a wonderful job paying attention to the players. And I think that that's been an incredible asset to the players' well-being. I think the successful organizations have done a wonderful job without it being regulated at the league-wide level at helping protect the staff. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, when the league, like I was in the NFL when that, when the mental health push was really coming alive. And it was interesting to me because I'm going like, you know, the players are out of the building at around four o'clock, but the coaches are all sleeping on the floors in their office. So I love the fact that we're acknowledging the importance of mental health for players, but I'm going like, maybe there's a, a 2.0 or the next wave is going to be addressing the coaches who are, you know, and these guys, some of them are former offensive, defensive linemen. Like they're not, you know, light guys and sleeping on the floor is just not practical for anyone. So um, I, I think it's interesting where we're going next. Uh, for whatever reason, I've never really been much of a fan of the term service leadership because I feel like this is about placating to the masses. What I do like is I think what's coming next or some terminology I've been coming across, which is um, the uh, wise, compassionate leader. And the wisdom is defined as you know your personnel, you know your people. 
So you know, the, you know, it's not the cheese, it's the hunger, right? It's the driver. So you know what that is in them. And you also have great clarity and direction of what is the answer to the test. And then the compassion part is not just empathy of understanding where they come from, but also how can you help them, right? So I think, I think this wise, compassionate leader is what's coming next. And it, it resonates with me. I, I think there's a lot of merit to it. Yeah, on that note, Scott, and, and kind of coming full circle with our initial question that started, it's like, how are we defining uh, performance psychology? So where do you guys see performance psychology in the field of athletics heading in the future? It, it seems like it's coming fast. It's, it's kind of blowing up. But like we had mentioned throughout the talk, it's still like kind of like that unknown. What, you know, what chef is cooking what cuisine? So, uh, Scott, if you want to touch on that first and then Angus, we'll go to you. Well, I go back to the idea that psychologists, psychology is so nebulously defined that it almost becomes in a way a weird sort of flavor of the month, right? Like it, here's the pattern that seems to flow. Someone with really good science brings a good idea and then they package it in a really good way, like grit, like Angela Duckworth's grit. Then it starts to permeate through sports with a slight mutation where people start using the word grit, but without actually holding to the science behind it. And then it becomes just basically old wine in a new bottle where grit is all about just muscling through it and time on task and kind of just fits sort of the narrative of, of, of the people who want it to mean something that they already believe in. So I think uh, where things are going next, um, I would love to see science and empirically validated practice to continue to be at the forefront. I think, unfortunately, um, it becomes this interesting mechanism of like, you know, sports is always on a shot clock. Like, you know, in the NFL, the game is always played at, at one o'clock on Sunday. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you're the starting quarterback or anybody else. Like, the kickoff is the kickoff. So, if the quarterback, you know, gets a flat tire, they don't stop the game for that. And, and so, I think because of that, um, I, I think I think efficiency is one of the places that people are going to start to talk about next. So, I think I think performance psychology with the expansion of staffs, it's going to be about interaction and relationships. And I think with the expansion of staffs and sort of like this interdisciplinary, like the team of teams concept from General McChrystal, I think efficiency is something that people are going to talk about a lot, which is like, you know, so that the, the head coach doesn't take two hours to take a piss. And then I think innovation is coming from creativity. And creativity, I think, is stemming from play. So these are some of the spaces that I'm exploring. I don't know which one of those is going to stick as the next wave of sports psychology, but that's where my head's at now. I'd be curious. I'm sure Angus is, you know what? Erase everything I just said. Whatever Angus says is what I think it is. I'll just, I'll, you know, just if we can just, I don't know if this is something we can, we'll just edit out those thoughts and just go with, and Angus, you go, we'll make it like Angus, you go first and I'll go, yeah, I agree with Angus. <laughs> you took my line. I was going to say what, what he said. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, I think, but Scott's right. Like, 
it is a somewhat of a reactionary league that wherever the problems and the challenges are, are what they're going to kind of fix first. So to his point too about the, I think the all leagues have put some kind of policy in that didn't exist before around mental health and wellness, but it has been much more centered around like collective bargaining agreements and minimum services to players, you know, that, that kind of policy. I would like to think that we are going to see more comprehensive and more proactive resources. So, but to Scott's point about all the ambiguity, I think we'll see experts embedded um, to help the processes be developed and to support general managers and, and other leadership. Um, but I think the skill set of those experts are so varied, it's going to look really different for every organization, um, which is probably appropriate, right? The context for every organization, the resources they have, the parameters they have are all different. Um, and so I think, but I would like to see more of a shift to overall well-being across, you know, staff, leaders, like everybody, and, and kind of meeting people where they're at um, to give space for them. I think that would be great. But I think Scott's got a great point about even Team of Teams is a wonderful book and resource around the evolution of how the evolution of war, you know, and, and terrorism, fighting terrorism, the fact that a more traditional hierarchical model of leadership was not effective, you know, in a really dynamic VUCA, right? The volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world that we're in, you know, being able to have a more um, flexible and proactive approach to how we problem solve is really important. And so he talks a lot about efficiency versus effectiveness, which I mentioned earlier. And it's one thing to be efficient and for the coach to have uh, a five-minute toilet break rather than two hours. But that doesn't mean that it's an effective solution. And ultimately, winning championships or keeping players on the field are, you know, those kinds of deliverables are going to be what how organizations measure success. But I think even like the economy, all the economic impacts of COVID and things are only going to be more important. So how we measure success um, how analytics continues to evolve and, and AI, like I think that we are in a really interesting moment in time where the machine learning and the person-centered interaction worlds are, are coming together and, and how comfortable we feel in those two spaces. So I do think psychology plays a really important part in that evolution. Um, I've no idea which way it's going to go, but I have a feeling that teams that find the right blend of integrating AI and, and analytics into humans and how they interact and, and behave is going to be it's going to be a really messy but important space to to try to conquer. That might take. And I always try to remind people like. If you can master and figure out human performance, we could end terrorism, wars, could corner the stock market. Like, you know, these, these things are not meant to be answered, but really meant to be explored. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of, you guys both touched on it, the evolution of just the performance department and especially the psychology department. It's like, 
Previously, like who owned psychology? Was it the strength coach for, you know, quote unquote, mental toughness or the athletic trainer? Um, it's just like recovery. Who owns recovery within the department? Um, so it, it's awesome to kind of see these transitions occur. Departments are starting to move more horizontally rather than siloed and so on. So I think it's going to be a, a nice addition to the performance department, but I'll flip it over to Gabe to wrap up, but I truly appreciate both of you guys' time and it was fantastic hearing you guys both. You know, real quickly before you flip it to Gabe, I'm sorry to derail the, the wrap up here, but Mike, you hit something really important and, and I'd like to quote a mutual friend of ours in uh, Mark Stevenson because he made this great statement that I've always held on to. He said, you know, anyone can be an advice giver. When you go get your haircut, you go to the bartender, like we get advice from anyone. And I think, so you go like, hey, who in the building is that mentor or who in that building was the traditional advice giver? Was it the strength coach? Was it, was it, was it? And the reality is, is like mentorship came from everyone and everywhere. And there's a blessing and a curse to that, right? Like the blessing is wisdom, like the great quote from Ratatouille, like not everyone can cook, but a cook can come from anywhere. So wisdom can come from anywhere in the building. The curse of that is sometimes people with nefarious agendas or maybe as Angus was talking about earlier, like ego and stuff like that, like is they might be whispering into that player or coach's ear with some kind of ulterior motive or agenda rather than the good for the individual or the organization. So I'm not so sure even with an embedded role or a specific department, if that means that the idea of psychology is now being compartmentalized, I still think it permeates. And those that are embedded, it's important for us to have good relationships so that we're not just talking to the players we're also talking to the people who are talking to the players so and you just made a great point and i just wanted to to add that thought thank you this is great i could listen to this all day it's so good there's so many good little nuggets in here um i have two kind of quicker questions as we look to wrap up here um and just a reminder for anyone who is listening in if you want to throw any questions in the chat we should be able to get to at least one or two but one quick question for our, our both Scott and Angus, for our audience, one resource you'd recommend related to performance psychology or anything that we've discussed today, it could be a book, podcast, anything. Angus? Well, I'm, I'm still blown away by the Ratatouille quote. Um, Scotty, you, you win all day long for that. Um, I think, so one of the things, I know you asked about that before too, and I'm really terrible at giving one thing, but I am going to limit myself to one thing. And something that I discovered last year and really enjoyed was um, was a podcast um, by Damien Hughes and Jake Humphrey called the High Performance Podcast. And but honestly, that you know Mike Gervais and and leaders in sport they do great podcasts too. And I th I love the exploration of successful people and and really understanding kind of what process people went through, you know? And, and I think, again, maybe it's my personal desire, how much I love seeking understanding and curious about people's different journeys. I think that's a really rich, rich one and, and how Damien Hughes is able to deconstruct a lot of that. Um, but yeah, that, there's a lot of great ones. I'm, I'm definitely curious on, on what Scott has too. 
Scott, we're going we're gonna to go to you, um, but I just have here in my notes, you were able to reference Ratatouille and Old School on this talk, so All that's right. impressive. Um, you, you're our only panelist that's been able to do that so far through the Kaiser well, Education Series. Yeah, the advantages of being well-read. My parents would be so proud. They're like, wait, we, we had him go through graduate school for all he had to do was just watch Netflix. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny because I get a lot of uh, great references from, from Angus. So I was really like, I was like, let Angus go first. I want to, I actually wrote down like three or four of the ones he just referenced. Um, but uh, so let's see, uh, here's sort of where I've, uh, uh, the book Edge by Littleton, I thought was fantastic. Um, you know, General McChrystal's team of teams, I thought was fantastic. Uh, Atul Gawande's Checklist Manifesto, I think is absolute gold. Uh, from a podcast standpoint, um, oh gosh, well, I'm blanking on his name, but he just talked about that sort of second phase. Um, I feel bad because it's really good stuff. Um, uh, and then the one thing that I, I, I don't know if people have discovered this one yet, but I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through it is uh, Light and Magic. It's a documentary on Disney Plus right now talking about uh, industrial light and magic and how they were built. And it's, I don't know, it's resonating to me because basically George Lucas, and maybe it's my generation of being such a fan, but George Lucas is like creating this thing that's never been done before in Star Wars. And so he got a bunch of these, you know, innovative just social disruptors in creating this new thing. Uh, in special effects. And so it's just been neat to watch how um, George Lucas made a line in there that really resonated with me. He said, um, they were all brilliant thinkers with yeoman work ethic. And I went, isn't that the secret to mastery? So I don't know. I, I, I try to pull from everywhere. And then uh, I'm reading right now uh, A Thousand Faces, where it's pulling from mythology and psychology and looking at universal themes of, of human behavior and human beings. So that's sort of where I'm germinating and ratatouille. I just keep watching old school. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, we did have one question just roll in. So if you guys have time and you're willing, um, we'd love to be able to ask it from our audience. Um, Damani asks, how would you go about working with a not so high level meaning middle or high school sports team and elevating the overall performance when there isn't a lot of players bought in as well as some coaches not being fully invested. So a little bit on that topic of trying to help uh, a team or individuals that aren't bought in and how do we maybe get them back on board? Either of you willing to take that one? So I would start with know your personnel. So to me, like all behavior has meaning. And you just got to like listen and learn. And so, you know, I think if, if we were talking, you and I offline, the first thing I say is what are they doing that shows you that they're not bought in? And why do you think they're doing that? You know, not to go back into the ether here, but I have found some professionals are answer guys. Here's what you do, do blah, 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 and other people are more like question guys. What do you think's going on? And I like, I've always preferred being a question guy because it creates a space where people can kind of problem solve. So uh, instead of saying, hey, just do this, 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 it's here are some questions that I would want to, to engage in. It's like, you know, what's going on? Um, 
And, and, and the, you know, I, I have some hypotheses because I think at the youth level where kids are now engaged in free play is more online and video gaming. Um, I think sports has now become another adult supervised organized activity. So they're being pulled. It's almost no different than seventh grade. Uh, seventh period is math class. Eighth period is, you know, practice. And so it might be something to engage in free play a little bit more, allow them some ownership and creativity. But I, I, one of the things that I, I love doing with coaches and players is, hey, um, I'm witnessing behavior X. I think you're trying to tell me something. I'm not really sure I fully understand, but I want you to know that I'm listening. And maybe we could have a conversation where you could help me understand why you're doing whatever that behavior X is. Once you know your player, once you know your personnel, once you know it's not the cheese, it's the hunger, then you can start to get that alignment. I love it. I'm so in line with, with what Scott's saying about that. I think one extra layer I would just add on or, or double down on is sometimes by asking a question, the player or the coach may not be able to articulate it. And that's, that's you know, sometimes it's easy to get stumped um, by that and not sure where to go. But I think it's got that one liner of like all behavior has meaning is, is so good because sometimes what you observe is actually going to tell you way more and help player or coach articulate that and so I think that being curious about that exploring that is is, is always good um, so what you do with that next is, uh, counts but a uh, great question awesome thank you both for the feedback there and thank you for the question Damani um, our last question some little fun something like to finish with uh, as we come up here on 90 minutes is what is your own exercise routine or training look like right now? And are you training for something specific or experimenting? We've had a wide, wide range of answers on this, so there is no wrong answer. <laughs> um, but we're going to start with Angus, and then we'll finish with Scott. So what does your own training look like right now? So that's a funny one. I, I started a pretty ridiculous streak that any sport scientist or strength coach would say is, is ridiculous. But I am about uh, 875 days into a running streak of at least 5K a day. <laughs> so I, it wasn't intentional, actually. It was started out and I just realized during COVID, the, the shutdown, and I realized after a few months that I'd had consecutive days and I was like, oh, this could be a thing. And then a year rolled by and it kept going. So a thousand, my, my seven-year-old just said that, he wants me to stop at a thousand because he doesn't like going into the, the gym with me on the treadmill when I'm solo with him. So, um, but I, I have found that it's sometimes it's really hard, but that discipline of finding that time in the day to do that has been great. And just kind of practicing what I preach and about, you know, exercise is good for the brain. So I've, I've incorporated that into my uh, daily. Would you, say, would you say the inspiration of that street came from a, 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 Photograph, a Halloween photograph, perhaps, Angus? Just great. <laughs> Funny you should mention that, Scott. So fun, <laughs> vulnerable moment here. I uh, So my family, I used to enjoy uh, dressing up for Halloween and uh, and we, we had a Harry Potter theme one year. Uh, and then Scotty, with uh, sharing pictures, Scotty asked me uh, who Fat Voldemort was. <laughs> <laughs> and Fat Voldemort became inspiration for... Uh, 
for a definite a double down on my exercise routine. So, but it worked out well. So I thank you, Scott, hey. from, from uh, deep of my heart. We inspire people in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> you sent a picture and you said, "Hey, check out what I am for Halloween," and I think I answered with "Fat Voldemort." <laughs> so. It's good to know that these scars go deep. Um, it's inspiring. And, yeah, and it's nice to know that Angus is out there streaking. We're going streaking. Come on, Snoop Blue. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, my workout routine, I think, is kind of exemplary of, of just my own personality and style, which is success through collaboration. Uh, so it's funny because, like, you don't really get a body, a body like this uh, being selective in food or anything like that. So... This comes with two things, which is like, I take ownership of what I eat, but I do want to be really grateful for the strength and conditioning coaches that have helped guide me. So when I talk about that, um, I have the good fortune of having forged some great relationships with some amazing, like tip of the spear strength and conditioning coaches in the NBA, NFL, NC. And, and so there is one a strength coach who I worked with at the University of Michigan. He was with our uh, men's basketball team. Uh, his name's Skyler. And Skyler continues to this day, even though I haven't worked at Michigan for the last seven years, every month he sends me a new workout and I have a whole thing laid out for me. So um, it, it's amazing the relationships that we forge throughout sports. And I'm so grateful because um, the same way different people will call me up and say, hey, doc, can I pick your brain for a few moments? I'm like, always happy to be a resource. I know that there's people out there that I can do the same. So I went to Skylar seven years ago and said, I, I'm getting older and I can really use some help. And he goes, I got you. And every month I get an email with, here's your workout coming up. And it's, it's, it's a beautifully sectioned thing that has the, the reps, the sets. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know how I'm so lucky you know how are the workouts scott the workouts are amazing and i'm consistent on them but like i okay. said um you can't escape a bad diet so you know i go i work out and underneath this this layer of fat voldemort is uh, i i got to imagine a finely tuned uh machine that skylar could be proud of so we'll see if we can we can reveal some of that soon the answers we get back on that question is awesome. We decided to keep it. This is our, you know, our first episode of the second season. Um, we have to keep that question because the answers have been awesome. Uh, and oftentimes, like, I can't believe that. So, Angus, how many days in a row did you say? I, I think I'm not certain, but I think it's 875. That's awesome. We'll make sure to, uh, we'll make a note of that on our calendar so we know when the day number 1,000 uh, comes up. So, um Incredible. Maybe you could share the photo. We'll do a little before and after dress up again this Halloween. <laughs> Scott's excited about that. Like he's getting, oh, that, would getting be, amped. that would be, that would be fantastic. He's getting amped. Serves as an um, inspiration. That's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, that is the time we allotted for today. A huge thank you to our attendees that joined us live for KES. Huge thank you to our two panelists, Dr. Angus Mugford and Dr. Scott Goldman. We appreciate their time and willingness to share their knowledge and expertise. This discussion will be available publicly on the Kaiser Fitness YouTube page, and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under Kaiser Education Series. You can follow both of our panelists on social media at Angus Mugford and at Scott Goldman PhD on Twitter. If you're interested in learning more about sports psychology and getting connected with the Sports Psycholo uh, Psychologist Network, 
please visit the Association for Applied Sports Psychology website at appliedsportspsych.org. To learn more about the Athletic Intelligence Quotient, follow Athletic Intel Q on Twitter or visit athleticintel.com. We'll be sure to include the links to both of those resources in the published episode. To stay up to date on all things Kaiser and find announcements for next month's KES panel, follow us at Kaiser Fitness on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Appreciate everybody's time. Thank you and have a great day.